So uh, you're going to want to volunteer for next year, just a quick heads up. Uh, huge thanks to those of you who did volunteer. I know many of you uh, took time off of work to be here all throughout the week. Some of you guys were able to invest five hours, others 10, 25, some of you over 100 hours. I want to say thank you so much for making the intentional decision to invest that time into these kids' lives. It really will have a huge impact that we may not see today, but we will see in eternity. And so thank you so, so much. And thank you for those of you who have, been, who have made the choice to be here today, investing your time this morning into reminding ourselves of God's goodness as we sing, uh, coming before him in prayer, even trying to shape our lives around uh, the resurrection and God's grace as we hear from his word. And thank you so much for investing your time. The reason that I want to give thanks for that is because you have chosen whether serving in Adventure Kids or even being here this morning, you have made the decision to invest your most valuable, unreplenishable resource that you have, and that's your time. You see, we oftentimes think in terms of uh, money or relationships as being very valuable, and yet when it comes to our time, oftentimes we're flipped with it. We don't factor it in, and in fact, there are many of us would spend more energy concerned about how we would invest $100 than we would how we would invest a day. And yet, what's fascinating is, we can always make more money, but you cannot make any more time. And so as we continue in our perspective series, I want to ask you this question. How is it how does Jesus shape your perspective on time? How does Jesus shape your perspective on time? If you're a follower of Jesus, how does Jesus, how does the gospel, how does who Jesus is shape how you invest your time, how you think about time, how you choose to use your time? And for those of us here that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, first, I'm so glad that you're here today. But I wanna encourage you to consider this. How might your life be different if you modeled your life around how Jesus teaches. To put it another way, is your view or perspective of time shaped by cultural pressures, shaped by your upbringing, or is it shaped by something that transcends all cultures and upbringings? You might even be here today because you feel stretched thin, because you feel exhausted, and you're wondering if Jesus has something for you. So be encouraged today, he does. How is it that Jesus shapes our perspective on time? Well, when we think about time, there's of course the normal perspective. And that is this perspective. My time is what? Oh, we're going to try that again. L listen, okay? Listen to me, you. All week at Splash Camp, yelling at the top of my lungs. You saw me. Right? You know, I'd like a nap, <laughs> but I'm here with you, so I'm going to need you to pony up with the energy level, okay? Let's try that again. The normal perspective is my time is? Thank you very much. Here we go. My time is valuable. Now, I want you to think about something. How do you talk about time? How do you talk about time? Right, there's just a handful. I mean, there's myriad ways, but one, we say things like what? Time is? Uh, I invested my time. Uh, I'm running out of 
I saved some. So you go to the store, and they've got this new gadget, and they say it slices, it dices, it makes julian fry. It's going to save you so much. And many of you right now are thinking, is this guy just wasting my time? You see, the normal perspective that we have of time, the way we talk about time, this, this is fascinating. We talk about time as if it's money. I mean, the, the, the first one there, we just say it outright, time is money, but we spend our time, we invest our time, we waste our time, we're running out of time. And so we are, as a people, in, especially in this community, we are overwhelmed with how it is that we're going to spend our time, how we're going to invest our time. You know what's fascinating, though, is if you compare us in this current cultural moment to those who've come before us, you and I have the most discretionary time than any other generation before us. And yet, a quick survey will say that the majority of us feel what? Overwhelmed, overbooked, stretched, thin, We feel like we can barely keep up. It's interesting. You know what else I find fascinating is, um, depending on which study you read, it's approximately half of those that live in this culture, the American West, who have a career that allots them paid vacation, only about half actually take all their vacation every year. And I'm, I'm the most guilty one. In fact, our board forces me to take the vacation. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because I like working. And yet, maybe if you're like me, you can commiserate a little bit. Just feel stretched thin. There's just never enough. So Don mentioned a minute ago that that uh, we're coming down to the end of our 77 days of prayer. So I'd like you to just do a little thought experiment with me. I want you to think back between now and when we started our 77 days of prayer, so roughly the week before Easter. Think between now all the way back to the week before Easter. How have you invested your time? If you were to pull open your day planner, your calendar, how have you chosen to invest the most valuable, unreplenishable resource that you have? Then I want to ask you this question. Does how you chose to invest your time reflect your values? You see, all of us have the same amount of time of the day, and yet we are all spending it differently. Now, that's how you've invested your time. Now I want to ask you a deeper question. How do you feel? How do you feel about the time you have? If you think between now and the week before Easter, and all the things that were on your calendar, were you at peace? (laughs) He says, knowing probably what the answer is. Well rested, are you? Are you experiencing shalom? (laughs) Or have you been hurried, rushed, busy, overbooked, jam-packed, barely keeping up, burning the midnight oil, 
burning the candle at both ends. You see, regardless of which culture we're from, time, our perspective of time, can be a burden. There's two primary cultures, if you, if you talk to cultural analysts, there's, there's kind of this spectrum. There's low context and high context. High context, generally speaking, are cultures that view time as a little bit more fluid. Um, so, uh, and then low context would be calendar driven. So let me put it to you this way. If you are in a deep conversation with someone and your calendar dings and it's time for the next meeting, if you immediately stand up and go to the next meeting because you feel compelled to by your calendar, it's highly likely that you're a low context culture. I am that. So you have like German, Swiss, these are, you know, right on time. Uh, if you say the words, early is on time, that's a low context view, low culture context view of time. That's, that's me. Okay. High context says uh, the party starts when we all get there. Now, which one's better? Wrong answer. Because both have perspectives on time that can be a burden and can be a delight. Many of us in the West are forced to uh, comply with a low context view of the world. And yet you travel. In fact, the places you choose to vacation, your favorite ones, one of the reasons you like them, for those of you that are low context, is because they're a high context culture. If you take a nap at two o'clock in the middle of the workday, it's highly likely that you are from a high-context culture. Now, here's the rub. Generally speaking, when we feel overburdened by our time and the demands on our time, many of us will say, you know what, I've got to go from low-context to high-context. But that's not the answer. And the answer is not to go from high to low. The answer is this. You have to have a completely different perspective of not only what time is, but whose time it is. You see, the Jesus perspective of time is this, God's time is valuable. Time is valuable, but do you remember the normal perspective? What's the normal perspective? Whose time is valuable? My time is mine. And yet the Jesus perspective shows us, no, no, it's God's time, and he's given it to us as a gift to steward. You know, it's fascinating. Uh, let me ask you a question. Whether you follow Jesus or not, do you think Jesus has made an impact in the world? If, if you follow Jesus, I should be hearing some yeses and amens. We're going to try that one more time. Do you think Jesus has had an impact on the world? Yes. You know, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which chronicle uh, the life of Jesus, covers about three years. Three years. You see, Jesus had little time compared to what we think as far as it relates to vocation. But Jesus understood that the time is God's time. We're going to look at Psalm 90. I'll prove it to you. And then we're going to talk about how to put this into practice. Psalm 90, selected verses. We'll have it up here on the screen. Now, I want you to, uh, one of the things to note is this is, we think this is the oldest psalm. We think it was probably written by Moses. And I want you to see how frequently in this psalm, Psalm 90, a reference to time shows up. You guys with me? Yeah. We're going to do a little sleuthing. Here we go. Lord, you have been our refuge in... Remember the energy thing that you owe me because I was here at Splash Camp all week? We're going to do that one more time. Lord, you have been our refuge in... 
before the mountains were born. Before, right? It's a timestamp. Before you gave birth to the earth and the world. By the way, that's an interesting creation account, isn't it? Before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from you are God. Okay, so was there ever a time when God wasn't? No, one of the ways that we say it, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it, is to say things like before time began, God was, but was is a reference to time. Let's keep going. Your, you return mankind to the saying, return descendants of Adam. Adam just means humanity. For in your sight a... So in God's perspective, when he thinks about something we think is enormous... In his mind, in his might, in his power, in his perspective, is a thousand years a big deal. It's like yesterday. Do you see what the author is getting at here? Though I, from my perspective, see things, I think a hundred years is a long time. Do you? Yeah. But a thousand years, God thinks his perspective is as it's like yesterday. That passes by like a few hours in the night. What do you usually do at night? And how fast does time go when you're asleep? Do you see? Do you see the reference? In the same way that when I sleep, time is like nothing, so too a thousand years, God, to you is like a vapor. It's thin. It's not a huge deal. Uh, One of my... um, Favorite thinkers is Stephen Hawking. In one of his books, seminal book, A Brief History of Time, uh, he's talking about um, how, the, you know, the, the nature of the cosmos and things like that. One of the things he, he starts uh, keying in on is uh, at the current rate, uh, one day the earth will run into the sun. Like at the current pace, someday, we're going to run into the sun. And he says... It's going to take a thousand million, 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 million years before that day happens, so there's no immediate cause for concern. <laughs> and I love Hawkins' humor because what he's getting at is this perspective. Uh, when you're in high school, some of you are in high school, when you're in high school and you're in a class that you don't enjoy, which for me was every class, <laughs> how long is time? Oh, it's like molasses. It's like, come on, right? When you're in a sermon that you think is boring, (laughs) right? Time is like molasses. It just, please, God. And yet, in God's eyes, a thousand years are like yesterday. Let's keep going. All our days, what? Ebb away. And this is fascinating from Moses, under your wrath. We end our years like a, a whimper, a vapor. Our lives last 70 years, or if we take our multivitamins, 80. (laughs) Do you see the ebb and flow in this text? God, your view of time, is like yesterday was a thousand years, and a thousand years was like yesterday. But my view of time is I've got 70, maybe 80, unless violence or injustice takes my life early. Let's keep going. Even the best of them, namely my years. (laughs) By the way, this is great birthday card material. Even the best of them, my years, even the best of my years, our struggle and sorrow, indeed they, and we, ah, fly away, oh glory. T 
Teach us to number our days how? Mm. So that we may Okay, think back between now and the week before Easter and number those days. Have you numbered them carefully? Is the wisdom of your heart scheduling your calendar? You see, the common view is that my time is valuable. But what the author of the psalm is saying is this. We'll put it up here on the screen. That time is a gift from God. I want to just take a quick time out, and I know that there are some of us right now in this room, and we've been praying for you, who have recently gotten the diagnosis, and they've said to you, the doctors have said things like this, you've got about six months. You've got about a year. Some of you all have been there. Some of you are there right now. Do you know this to be true? That time is a gift from God to be stewarded? So how do we do it? How do we number our days carefully? How do we live out of the wisdom of our hearts? I'm glad you asked. The embodiment of wisdom, the scripture says, is Jesus Christ. Though there is much in the scriptures about how we can live wisely, the embodiment of wisdom is seen in Jesus. And so one of the things that we can do is look at Jesus' life, and that might help us as we, for those of us that are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, that's going to help us live wisely as we seek to live like Jesus. So Let's just take a look. I'm going to be throwing out a a random, uh, not random, but a a handful of references. Glad to give these to you afterwards. I don't want to go to each text for the sake of time. But I wanted us to think together about these things. And let me tell you this. I'm still working on this. Because my God occasionally, in fact, probably once a week, the thing I worship, the thing that controls me, the thing that I'm going after is oftentimes my calendar. And so I'm here with you, trying to learn. But let's see. Jesus did engage in intense work and intentional rest. Jesus was intensely hyper-focused on the work that God had for him. And Jesus was also intensely serious about Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest, God-ordained rest. A a resting that's not self-focused, but a resting that's God-focused. You read through the Gospels, you will see numerous times Jesus in the midst of a crowd, Jesus in the midst of like a great day of work. And you know what he does? He just pieces out. He's like, y'all bother me, I'm going up the mountain, see ya. And he goes, and what we see is that he decides to spend time with God. Jesus is intense in his work and intentional in his rest. Here's my question for you. Are you? As a, a high con, uh, excuse me, low-context individual, especially compelled by my generational expectations, I find the first one super easy. And then I think you think less of me when I do the second one. I'll prove it to you. Do you know how many times I get asked, how's your week going? You keeping busy? 
Now, in other careers, right, in other vocations, right, if you're, if you're a homemaker, the question is, how are your kids? And I've seen most of your kids, and we know that it's not generally your fault. They're just, you know, <laughs> just original sin right there in the three-year-old. Like, you see it, right? Like, I know. Like, I got four kids for some reason, and, it's, and I know, right? And in other careers, it's, how's your portfolio, right? But in my field, they don't ask me about the kids, they don't ask me about the money. You keep them busy. <laughs> Eugene Peterson made this statement. I love this. I think this applies to every disciple of Jesus, but I'm going to apply it the way he did. He said, the word busy pastor should be as horrifying as adulterous pastor. When was Jesus busy? Oh, there's intentional work, intense work, but also intentional rest. Let me ask you this question. And by the way, I hate resting, so... This is super convicting to me. How many of you would love it if your pastor was overworked? Now let me put it to you. Do you think that that's any different for you and the people you minister to? An overworked dad, an overworked mom, an overworked son, an overworked daughter, an overworked sibling, an overworked spouse? We're all ministers to each other. And so we can mirror our lives after Jesus. Intense work and intentional rest. Second, one of the things we see Jesus doing is he spends time with God and those bearing his image. By the way, that's uh, everyone. He spends time with God and he spends time with people. Now, I love this. There are many times where Jesus will go away to be alone, but he's not alone. He's with his father. You see him praying frequently. In fact, um, oh man, there's so many weird things about like modern evangelical Christianity. Don't even get me started. One of the weird things that we say, this is so weird to me. We say, have you had your quiet time today? Your quiet time. Listen, when I see the injustices that my peers are experiencing, when I feel the pain that comes at me, when I sense the frustration of my goals and objectives being unmet, when I feel distance from God, when, I, when God doesn't make any sense, my time with him is anything but quiet. I'll prove it to you. Read the Psalms. Right? The Psalms, are, half of them are yelling. When Jesus goes away to be with the Father, you know what they're always doing? Talking. There's a distinct, there's a difference between Meditative practices and time with our God, right? One of the things that the psalmists oftentimes do is they're yelling and screaming their inward being out before God. Our time with God, relatively speaking, should be almost anything but quiet. Now, there comes a point in time after the spilling of the guts that God says, be still. But it's almost always after the spilling of the guts, but there's something else, and I worry about you. Most of the time, I worry about me too. We live in an individualistic culture. Whether you were born here uh, or you've immigrated here, we we're currently in an individ a hyper-individualistic culture that does this really bizarre thing. In evangelical Christianity, we have, as the epitome of spiritual devotion, a person isolated and alone at their breakfast table with a coffee and a Bible open, reading it just between us and God and thinking that's all there is to it. 
And certainly that's valuable. But you know who else just reads the Bible by themselves and comes to their own conclusions unchecked by any peers? Every leader of every cult. You see, we are not, oh man, read through the scriptures. Watch Jesus. He's always with the image bearers of God, even when he's in relationship with the Father. In fact, much of the time when he goes away, he brings others with him. Jesus always makes time to be with the Father and to be with those who bear the Father's image. We want to be careful about isolating ourselves. You know, solitary confinement, you know, it's a form of punishment, right? We are not made to be alone. Third, Jesus made time for insiders and outsiders alike. In Mark chapter 5, you see this um, fascinating moment where there's a powerful leader that's begging for Jesus' help. And on the way to help, an outcast woman begs him to stop. And for all intents and purposes, her needs were dramatically lower than the needs of the powerful figure. And yet Jesus stopped, turned and looked at her, and talked to her and healed her. Because Jesus had time for the insider and the outsider. Jesus gave his time, invested in time, in those who are powerful and invested his time into those who are not. To those who increased his station and those who cost him something to be around. Let me ask you this. I hate this question. How much time are we investing in helping to raise others up rather than raise ourselves up? Oh, it's easy for me to bring people into my life and give people my time when I think they can benefit my ends. It's really difficult to invest my time when I think the only thing I'm doing is giving. And yet Jesus modeled for us that he made time for the insider and the outsider alike. Let's keep going. Jesus did not find pride in busyness. Everybody take a big deep breath in. Breathe out. Busyness is not a badge of honor. No matter what this hyper-consumeristic, individualistic, work-addicted culture tells you. We should be productive. We should work. I believe that every vocation that God calls us to is a holy calling. And yet, do you know that our vocations can easily become our idols, the things that give us dignity, worth, and value? Let me ask you this question. If you were to lose your vocation, whether that's as a parent, in the workplace, in government, in nonprofit work, if something were to happen that you would no longer be able to be in that vocation, would it be sad? Or would it be soul-crushingly devastating? You see, if it's soul-crushingly devastating, we may be worshiping our vocation, finding our identity, our dignity, and our value in that which God has called us to for that season. Oh, it should be sad. It should be frustrating. It's not supposed to work that way. And yet we can be a people in this community that worship our God of work. Finding pride in business, Jesus never did it. Second, Jesus did not think people were wasting his time. I want you to do a thought experiment with me. C.S. Lewis had this great idea. 
He said that most of us wander around making friends and being put into community, and when we engage with each other, we think it was our doing. The reason we met was because we both made a decision to be in the same place at the same time, and so that's good happenstance that we've now entered into community. But you know what Lewis says? I love this. He says, no. Every friend, every person you're in relation with, everyone in your orbit has been placed there by the divine master of ceremonies. That every person in your life has been orchestrated as such. In Acts 17, it says that God chooses the times and the places that people exist. Which means your neighbors are your neighbors, not because you chose to move into that neighborhood primarily, but primarily because before time began, God saw fit to put them in your sphere. And then he gave you not only the place, but also the time. Because it's not my time, whose time is it? And so when my neighbor catches my ear when I'm on the way to the mailbox, trying to avoid my neighbors, if I take the Jesus perspective of time, I might stop and say, first off, God put them in my life. Second off, this minute that I'm breathing, God gave me that too. Maybe I should be the type of person who invests the time that God gave me to engage with the people God's placed me in their sphere. I'll prove it to you. Read the Gospels and watch what Jesus does. You know how many times he does the Heisman to people? Watch him. Oh, he's, he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He always stops. And when it's children, you know what else he does too? He stops and he stoops. He's always got time. Do you? And third, he never, okay, big deep breath again, man. He never lets other people's expectations set his calendar. He is always about the Father's business. Watch, read through the Gospels. Watch how many times different religious leaders, different power brokers make demands on Jesus' time. And frequently he'll say stuff like this, my time has not yet come. Now he's referring to, in those particular settings, most of the time the cross, but he's always saying, your expectations don't drive me. I choose to use my time under this principle. It's God's time, and it's a gift to be stewarded. Other people's expectations were not what drove Jesus' calendar. Now, this gets to a values conversation. I'm going to talk to each one of you, especially those of us that follow after Jesus. I want to talk to you serious. Much of the time when we feel overstressed, overburdened, too many demands on our time, that may be the Spirit of God giving you some pain to take a step back and evaluate which God you're serving. Because, listen, now listen now. Jesus shows us this truth, that when God calls us to do something, he always gives us the time to do it in a way that's healthy for us and brings us to flourishing. Jesus shows us that God never calls us to do something that will sound like 
burning the candle at both ends. And that pressure, I know it's very real, I feel it all the time, that pressure that we feel may be the Spirit of God saying, if you are in such a state that you can't find Sabbath rest, which God are you serving? Because when we follow after God, who showers us with his grace and love, he always gives us the time to do it in a way that leads to our flourishing. It drives me absolutely crazy when I hear people say, YOLO, you only live once, you better get out there, or FOMO, fear of missing out, or if you like Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society, carpe diem, seize the day, and then that really insidious Christian twist on it, you gotta do great things for God. I don't have to do great things for God, God's great enough. My role is to live as a disciple of Jesus. And so these pressures that we feel, when we feel that stress, that overburden, that stretch thin, it may be the Spirit of God speaking to us saying, are you following me? Or are you trying to find your dignity, worth, and value elsewhere? I want to leave you with this. Jesus loves you so much. You will never do anything to earn his love. He has showered you with his grace and his mercy, and he calls you his own. You have the love, affection, acceptance you are delighted in by God. And when you have the love of the king and creator of the universe, who cares what the paupers think about how we use our time? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the many ways you provide for us and bless us. We pray now as a people that we would find that you have given us the strength and the wisdom to live this out, to be obedient to you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in this moment to find rest and peace as we seek to live in light of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.